Hello, and welcome back to Hey Founded, the Boston Startup Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, and today we're shining a spotlight on a local success story and Becker College alumni, William DeHerty. Born and raised in Boston, William is now steering the ship as the CEO of Dan Ross, one of Canada's largest transportation companies. Dan Ross, though not a startup now, was once a fledging company that started with just a single truckload of potatoes back in the 1950s. Today, with Thousand in its fleet, it symbolizes the potential every startup has to scale and transform an industry. William's journey and Dan Ross's evolution are powerful testaments to the impact of innovation, strategic decision-making, and sustainable practices, elements that are integral to every startup's journey. So buckle up and get ready for an insightful ride as we discuss the keys to innovating within a large company, industry trends, disruptions, and the role of technological innovation in the transportation industry. I hope that startups can take something away from today's conversation. So let's get started. First off, appreciate you coming on. And the first thing I actually kind of wanted to ask you about was this is the Boston Startup Podcast. And so we usually like to tie roots to Massachusetts, Boston. I know that you went to um, Becker College. I'm kind of wondering um, if you would mind sharing when you went to Becker College and what the world looked like coming out of school for you back then and what it looks like today. Yeah, well, I, I, I started university in the 80s. I had sort of a disruption in my uh, academic sort of pursuits because I was working for a, you know, what was a, I wouldn't call it a startup, but a smaller company called FedEx, uh, working my way through school. Um, and I got an opportunity to um, uh, put some upward mobility with them and take some leadership roles and it sort of had me go to school more part-time. So I finished later in my career. Uh, but I did finish. It was something that I, it was a personal goal for me. Um, so from a standpoint, you know, generationally, I, you know, I, I grew up across, I, I was born across the river from you in Cambridge. I went to high school in Watertown. So I'm a, a local guy and I, and I, you know, and I've been working in the Boston area since in the early eighties. Um, so, you know, that's sort of how I started my career in, in 85 or excuse me, 84. I started with a company called FedEx, which, you know, it's, Sort of iconic in the in the in the world of transportation, and I had a, a very long, uh, what I consider a pretty successful career there. Um, successful in many ways, not just you know just uh, I got to meet a lot of people, got to see a lot of cool stuff, got to see Boston really become the thought leadership hub that it is around technology, biomed, and a lot of the sciences, which has always had you know the DNA of that. But uh, in the '80s, it was you know probably the real first. I would say stair step change in sort of the 128 belt where all the companies in Waltham and all the way up into places like Nashville, New Hampshire, where just it was, you know, uh, growing. It's, you know, it's, it is the East Coast version, I think, of the Silicon Valley. And I think there's a lot of cool stuff that comes out of this area because of the academic value relative and also the, uh, the type of folks that are attracted to the Boston area. So it's a, it's a great place to be. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. Boston is a crazy innovative city and I've met so many cool founders, um, startups that are building really amazing things here. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad I went here for school, to be honest. It's, it's a great place to be. I, I want to ask you. And we're glad to have you because that's, <laughs> I tell that to people all the time, you know, we've got all these great people that come into the city every year and great institutions of learning. And a lot of them stay and, and they make this their new home. And 
you know, we're lucky enough to get the value of those folks and they bring a lot of cool ideas and perspectives and it, it makes it for a better, a better place. And like you say, it's a, it's a place of innovation. Yeah, exactly. Try to make sure it continues. So I, I'm guessing the world looked a little bit different back in the eighties compared to today. And so I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about how large companies innovate. And I think the reason why is because I think this would be really helpful for startups to realize that, you know, large companies find ways to move forward. And I think there sometimes is a misconception that large companies move slowly. Uh, and I think to some degree that might be true, but obviously larger companies also have more resources. And so I kind of want to ask you, as the CEO of a large organization like Day and Ross, how do you stay ahead of the curve and ensure your company remains at the forefront of industry trends and market changes? You know, Justin, I, I don't think that really has anything to do with the gestational time. I think, you know, most innovation is happened by you know, either a customer requirement or a business requirement. Okay. And I think, you know, um, when you look at how, you know, how you make decisions about that, it's really, you know, the, the greatest thing that you can hear from a customer is, I wish this could do this. And that could be a product, a service, or a feature. And, you know, that was true 25 years ago, and that's going to be true 25 years from now. You know, whether or not artificial intelligence can help accelerate that and things like that, the speed to market will probably be different on a lot of things just because of the processing power. You know, in, in general, if you think about the old, you know, supercomputers, the you know, the very big hardware environments that used to be versus today where the, the hardware requirements are very small and, and most things are done in the cloud, I mean, it's a... But the really, it's it's still. I wish this could do this, and how do you meet that goal? I don't think the commercial component changes that much, and I think that is why you continue to have things evolve the way they do. And people, you know, I think the biggest challenge is that you know the shelf life of things is a lot less. I think, I think what's cool today, and you know, three months from now might not be as cool. I think there is a big challenge in that for for companies that are emerging because. You're trying to build a business and, you know, thinking only 90 days ahead of what's the next big thing can be problematic from, you know, staying focused on the core and then ultimately what you have to do. I think there's probably for innovators today, there's probably a lot less time to think about the what what's next, where I think maybe going back a few years, we had a lot more time to think about what's the next big thing we need to be worried about. Right. Exactly. No, that makes sense. And I think something you brought up that was interesting is that that customer centric approach i think the the advice to startups is always you know build something that people want something that people are willing to pay for and yeah in terms of staying relevant with industry trends none of that matters if you're not delivering what your customers ask for it sounds right. like i mean if you think about you know it's a little bit like the patent offense right there's probably things if you and i have a day to go down there and read through submitted patent you know, information, we'd be like, wow, this is a great idea. But some things aren't viable because the customer can't make the jump to why they need that. Right. I'm wondering when things are changing in an organization, I, I, I'm wondering a little bit about, you know, the change in how may, maybe AI has affected your business. But mostly I'm just wondering, how do you drive innovation in terms of teams and make sure that they are willing to embrace change and are willing to execute on it? People need to understand why we are trying to accomplish this or why we need to do this. And I think, you know, not enough time is ever spent on 
when I and I'm not just talking the the memo that goes out or the email that goes out or the you know or you know just the the, the, the talk around the table while you're trying to iterate on a problem. Uh, they have to understand the whys because mm-hmm. most people, if they're if, if they're working for an organization, they come in every day. They want to add value. They're looking to you know uh, meet their obligations to the to themselves personally and to the organization. They have to understand the whys, and the whys have to be very meaningful. They have to be something that can be distilled down and talked about. And almost and the informality of that conversation is is more important than the the 50-page deck that really explains the long rationale because people need to be able to consume it, think about it, and then figure out what part they play in that. If companies spend a lot more time sort of in that, um, this is why we need to do this, this is, you know, this will be the outcome, I think they'll they'll find that the, the little bit of discretionary effort that you can get from folks is there, and they want to give it, but you have to sort of unlock that sort of power. Right. Okay. Your response. Thank you. My next question for you is how do you prioritize the implementation of new technologies and how do you balance the need to meet short-term goals versus long-term innovation? Yeah, that, you know, that's, that's, that's a very good question. It's a thoughtful question because it's, because it's, you're always, the landscape on that sort of dimension that you've outlined is always shifting. But I think you know, fun in the fundamentals of it. If you're a commercial entity, again, whether it's a product or service, you're trying to figure out what is the benefit to the end consumer or customer. And I think that has to really shape everything you do. Whether it's just a cybersecurity issue that you're trying to change, or it's a product feature that you're trying to enhance, I think you have to decide that you know what, how all this be viewed by the customer? Is it is it offer different insights into our business that they will find value in? Uh, is there a sort of a, is, does this create a deeper stickiness and an attachment with that customer because it becomes a core part of their process relative to what they do in the commercial, you know, area, whether it's an engineering company or it's a, a you know, building material company, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think you have to figure out in the prioritization because, you know, there's an old, uh, the comedian, I think Stephen Wright once said, and I actually think it's a it's an old Irish thing. I heard you can't have everything where would you put it. There's a real there's a real sort of you know logic to that that you have to have a very rigid sort of you know discipline around. Well, these are the things that we can do. These are the things that we can afford to do, and ultimately these are the things that we'll get on a you know return on that investment. And when you do that, you know that discipline should allow you to work through the the critical, you know, work streams around improving your service, improving your product. Um, you know, and, and you have to be willing to be flexible because as the landscape shifts, that means the stacking of those priorities can move up and down. And some right. things that were valuable today could become less valuable tomorrow because, you know, of many reasons. Could be a regulatory issue, could be a, you know, a, a, a commercial discussion. It could be a lot of things, but. I think you have to really look at, you know, um, your go-to-market strategy, what do customers do business with you for, and then ultimately, how do you continue to, uh, you know, enrich that relationship? Absolutely. I want to dive a little bit deeper into your industry more specifically. And so I'm wondering around disruptive technologies, things like automated trucks. How do you think about these types of products that could be potentially disruptive to your industry? 
I think it's exciting. Let's just start with that. The, the big headlines that you're talking about, electrification, alternative fuels, you know, autonomous vehicles, I think those are the big headlines. Right. Um, but the reality is there's been a lot of uh, pretty big headlines, not maybe as billboard popular as those, just around the advancements in, in crash avoidance technology in trucks, in the fuel efficiency of trucks. I mean, you're talking, you, you know, you know, trucks today that are 40 to 50% more fuel efficient than they were just 15 years ago. Wow. Uh, it, so there's a whole host of things that have been enabled by technology and, 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 and will and skill of manufacturers, OEMs, who have gone after these problems to create a, a better outcome relative to environmental, a better outcome to, you know, uh, worker comforts, a better outcome to public safety. Um, and, there, and then if you, if you wrap those into the things that you're talking about, you know, the trucking industry is going to embrace electrification more than anyone. And there's no reason for us not to want to do that or hydrogen fuel. There's no reason for us not want to do that because um, it, 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 it's cleaner, it's better, it, it, it's in some ways it will enhance the uh, the commercial discussions and i think overall i think you know autonomous vehicles in, in my working knowledge of it and we spend a lot of times with with oems talking about that you know they see that as you know i see it more as an augmentation of the real system initially and then ultimately into more of a street level delivery you, you have to take that from the mindset that i'm in the heavy transportation space i'm not delivering a small parcel you know on on commonwealth ave to 520 com ad where you know a small robot shows up with a or a drone shows up with a package i'm delivering you know full truckload goods to you know distribution centers and things like that so it's a little different paradigm than i see about autonomous um so it, but but it will come it will be embraced by the industry there's the industry probably wants it more than a lot of folks uh, than, than the consumer space because i think for them it's they want their stuff and they would love you to deliver it in a very you know cost-effective, environmentally friendly way. Absolutely. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of work being done on that. There's, there's some very cool stuff going on, uh, research on drafting, which is when you put two trucks together, the first truck might have a might have a driver in it. The second truck will be, you know, electronically controlled by the first truck and it will draft, which creates a whole host of good things around efficiencies as well as, you know, uh, you know, carbon intensity. So it's it's a there's a real there's a real desire for that, and um, and that's you know again the industry will embrace it. It needs to be ready though. I think today it's a little bit more boutiqueish, and I think as it gets more commercially and viable, the industry will grab it as fast as they can because they know it's the right thing to do, and ultimately it's uh, it's going to be the, it'll be the best way to operate. It'd be crazy driving down the road and just seeing two trucks. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, yes, I think that's a good way to say it. But, but you know what? It's at some level, the technology's already there. You're seeing a lot of, you know, now you hear all the, the maybe some of the bad stories that things happen. But as we're trying to figure this this out, there's going to be, you know, mistakes because there is some level of need to course correct and figure out what's the best way to do it. So, but um, it will, it would be, it will become commonplace like most things though as soon as it becomes you know sort of ingrained in how we operate or how we you know conduct ourselves in, in, in the transportation space it 
it will become very natural that people will will look back fondly, I guess, at the way it used to be. Over the last 30 years, what has been, you mentioned fuel efficiency, and I imagine logistics is somewhere in there, but what has been the most significant tech innovation that's transformed the your industry? Uh, I, I would I would start with fuel efficiency. I would aerodynamics of vehicles. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard for people to think when they drive next to a truck on the highway, and I'll just use that as an example because I think it's helped illustrate it. The truck probably doesn't look that different to folks, maybe. The reality is it's very different. Typically, trucks used to be a standard shift, 10 to 12 gears. The driver would manually manipulate it like in, like in a regular standard car with a clutch. Today, predominantly, all production is automatic because it's way more efficient. People tend to think that trucks are these big things and you see the movies, people shifting up and down. The reality is most trucks today are automatic because the technology is a, has a much more efficient way of doing it. And, and most drivers today would not want to go back to those old shifting trucks. Um, the aerodynamics of, of the of the power unit, which is the, obviously the, the front part of the truck, is much different. The wind fairings on the trailers and on the um, tractors is, is much different. Uh, the, the, the crash avoidance technology, I think, can never be understated because if you think about, if you go out and you're lucky enough to buy a, a new car, you can see what comes pretty standard now. That's sort of the same way the trucks are being sold today with a lot of crash avoidance in uh, pre-alert system. The cameras, we have cameras in trucks today that are forward-facing and internal-facing, so we see the behavior of the drivers, we see the behavior of the, of the, of the, 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 the driving community around the driver. Uh, which is great because it's a way to, you know, uh, preach good habits and show people where there's potential for avoiding things and how to, you know, how to not allow themselves to be trapped in a situation where they have to, they, they can't course correct. But there's a lot of technology going on in the industry. And I think, again, it's probably not an industry that's always thought about that way because of sort of what it is. Uh, they don't mean that in a bad way. It's a very complex industry. And I think, you know, the term essential service, uh, which was dubbed during COVID, was all, it's always been an essential service. Right. The supply chain is very fragile in most mm-hmm. large countries, and we're a very large country, obviously, so the supply chain is very fragile. It requires a lot of professional groups to help support that. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think the technology is, 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 is for the better, uh, and I think it hits the right spots around safety, and I think it hits the right spots around environmental, and I think that will continue. Okay, very cool. Um, I just have one last question for you. Based on your experience leading Dan Ross through periods of change and innovation, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs in Boston looking to create innovative and disruptive companies in today's business landscape? I think in today's world, it's very easy to see failure as a complete stop. I think that going into most things that are hard, you have to be willing to, you know, accept some level of failure. It doesn't invalidate the idea. It doesn't invalidate the product. You have, but, but I think most young folks in business struggle with that because you want to win. And what, I, what young entrepreneurs and young leaders in, in business they, you know, their behavior is infectious. If the team is two or three people, well, the team is 40 people. Mm-hmm. And it's startup. What the young leader or the young person in charge of the organization 
that person has to be willing to deal with failure, not in a positive way, not in an accepting way, but they have to understand it and they have to be willing to learn from it. And they can't let that moment in time become the all-consuming part of business. You know, I, I'm lucky enough to have uh, have done some things in my life that are outside of transportation, and some of them were with people that have very different skill sets than myself. Um, and in some areas, they're you know they're, they're I would consider them almost thought leaders. Struggling with failure can can be a real big detriment to business. And again, you don't want to embrace failure, but you really want to understand how to manage yourself through that, because I think it can really take good ideas off the table. And I think we're too quick to be willing to give up on things, not because we're looking for an easy win, but I think it's, you know, it's nice to win. So you sort of always want to be in that sort of feeling, right? It's euphoric. Um, so at the end of the day, I think, you know, managing through failure is very important. And pe- people that can do that are typically very successful. And, and, you know, in the world of, you know, when you're trying to go out and raise capital and you go, you're out trying to get people interested in the idea, you know, I think about, you know, what, what you're trying to do as a young entrepreneur. There are people that will be are willing to listen to you and be willing to reach out and ask somebody well, who's failed on something and how did they get through that? Because not, ev- not every circumstance is the same, and, but, but there's, there are common learnings. Right. And I think young entrepreneurs, especially in Boston, which, you know, is this, this podcast is geared towards, you know, you've got a whole, you've got whole zip codes full of people that have very advanced skill sets and very diverse backgrounds and experiences. Someone can help you out there. You know, be willing to look at your failure and, and find someone that can maybe help you navigate that. Because you're probably having more successes or you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. But there is a point where you hit that one time and you go and you sort of get lost in that moment. If that becomes all consuming, all the good work can be invalidated. You need to be willing to look for someone to step in and just give you a fresh perspective for a few minutes and maybe recharge your own batteries a little bit with that sort of, you know, where you don't have to feel like you're always on stage trying to be the, the person who's leading the organization to the just, you know, I hate to use this term, but to the promise line, if you will, which is, you know where you take something to market. Um, but there's, you know, the, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of humility and a little bit of, um, you know, insightfulness around, well, you know, why did we feel? And if you're struggling with that, maybe go ask somebody else and give them some time to talk through the problem with you. And I think, because there's a lot of people that want to help each other out there. I don't think the world is not, you know, has not lost the case, the, 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 the ability to say, empathize with somebody and say, well, I, I know what you're going through. Like, you know what? Have you thought about this? And if you're willing to do that, I think that can be a very powerful tool, sometimes more powerful than the failure. Yeah. I mean, those are great words. Thank you. I completely agree. And I, I think in terms of finding advice and mentorship, um, something that I was always encouraged to do, which I think has been really helpful, is to just be a sponge. You know, Learn as much as you can from every single person read books, um, follow the news, listen to podcasts, try and try and try and learn every single day and get a little bit better. And, and you'd be surprised. You could listen to, you know, 99.9% of the things I hear don't have a material impact on the business or what we're doing. But every once in a while, someone will say something, it'll just be a sentence and it will result in a shift in my understanding around something. And it's critical. Exactly. And those moments are critical. 
Yeah, and, 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 and a lot of times they're free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The best the, the best advice is free. Most of the time, probably. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate it, Bill. Thank you so much. Um, you know, do you have any? Do you have anywhere you know listeners you you would send them to? Maybe your site. Um, I don't know if you guys are hiring, but anywhere you would send you know young people that are listening to this. Well, if, if and listen, if, if people have an interest in working for what I think is a great organization, I think you know day, dayrosh.com, uh, There's all kinds of information there, and we're a multifunctional big organization that has all the disciplines, you know, from finance to maintenance. Uh, so there's a lot of jobs in a lot of different areas. So, uh, and we're always looking for good people to come join the team and help us reach our goals. Okay. Awesome. We'll send them there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate it. Um, take care and I hope you have a nice rest of your day. Thank you, Justin. Great, great to visit with you today. Take care. Have a good one, Bill.